otherwise on SAFM. Thank you very much, Asanda. Otherwise, it is indeed coming to you from Johannesburg. Here we are at the Hyatt Hotel in Johannesburg. We are at the at the eighth annual Women's Conference Leadership Conference. We are the leaders we've been waiting for, and have we heard some leaders or what? Yes, we have. Team today, Kahiso Botloko, Hazel Mikozeni, and I'm Nancy Richards. And our guests are going to be, well, we, believe it or not, we're going to start with a man. How's that, hey? Nick Benadell, he's a, he's a professor. He is uh, extraordinarily well qualified to be talking to us today. He's, he's the founding director and dean of Gibbs. That's the Gordon's Institute of Business Science. And he was talking today about, uh, about strategic leadership, and we're just going to find out from him where women fit into all that. So looking forward to that. Hoping also to be talking to Margaret Mkosi. She's not with us yet, but she's in charge of special projects at the Technology Innovation Agency. That's a project of the Department of Science and Technology. We'll find out what innovating things that they're up to. Also going to be talking to one of the delegates. In fact, delegate turned speaker at the last minute. She's Shungu Chirunda. She's from British American Tobacco, and she's their legal and corporate affairs uh, head. And she's working in Namibia, Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland, and uh, she's based in Cape Town, but we're going to be finding out from her just how friendly the legal system is for women. Certainly we'll be talking to Dudu Mvimbi Leshabani. She is the editor of Real Magazine. She's got a very real story of her own that I think has given birth to the magazine. So that's what we've got in the lineup. I hope you're going to stay with us. Let's have a little bit of what's news. Well, interesting in the light of this particular Women's Leadership Conference that we're at, This morning I heard on Morning Live that apparently growing demand for female executives and board directors uh, exceeds the supply. So it looks like there's a big demand for women executives, but there's just not enough of them out there. Well, I have to tell you, plenty of aspirants here we've got in the room right here. And uh, saying that was Dudu Msomi of Busana. And uh, I'm not sure what you think about that, but from where I sit, certainly it seems like that there are plenty in the wings. Maybe not sufficiently qualified girls, go out and get the learning. There's uh, no excuse. You've also got to dress the part, something that we've heard here on the, during the, the conference. You have to dress to be taken seriously, said one speaker, actually, Terrell Schroen. She's a CEO of Access. It's an IT company, and she's very committed to mentoring women. But she said that dress in, uh, you have to dress in a way that suggests self-respect, because self-respect commands respect from others. And actually what she said was that she keeps a whole stock of those little lacy clip-on covers that you wear across your décolleté. And if she sees that some of her female staff are just showing a little bit too much, she just goes and gets one of her little lacy covers. So there you go. Let us know what you think on that one. And just quickly on the subject of that, I see in the paper this morning, 21-year-old woman from Durban is considering suing 100 Facebook users who made derogatory comments about her picture on a Facebook page called South Africa's Finest Girls. Well, the picture of her is she's sucking a lollipop. She's showing a huge amount of cleavage. But she says that she's being cyber-bullied and uh, defamed by social media. Claudia Naidu she is, and she says she was appalled by comments linking her attire to rape. She says many women dress provocatively. doesn't mean that they're asking to be raped. So your thoughts once again, provocative dressing, what is it? What does it provoke? Self-respect, respect. You answer the question. Let us know your thoughts uh, otherwise at safm.co.za, otherwise at safm.co.za. And just quickly on the subject of social media, been some very interesting Twitter comments going on here at the conference, uh, including, I love this one, no is a sentence and women need to learn to say it. In fact, one delegate very bravely stood up and she, stood up and she said that just this morning her son had said to her, can I borrow your car, mum? And she said, no. And there you go. So that was one lesson learned. 
other little quotes uh, from Sibongile Komalo, who just spoke to us earlier. She said, find your rhythm. From Tyrrell, who I mentioned earlier, she said, create your own jet stream. And Sarah Britton said, don't get boxed in. You can be anything you want to. Also from the, the mouth of Sarah Britton came the wonderful word, which is flawsome, which is actually a combination between flawed and awesome. So if you're feeling yourself to be flawsome, you're in good company. Right now, you're listening to Otherwise. Stay with us. Gear yourself for 22 exciting regular Friday evening appointments because Nuit for Nuit is back. We're going to rock you again with brand new music challenges, bubbling contestants, brilliant guest artists and our red-hot band. Kick off your shoes, pounce off the hook, on with your music hats and come and sing, play and laugh along with us. See you every Friday evening at 7.30 on SABC2 for the usual fun and games associated with Nuit for Nuit. Can't wait. Join Nedbank and SAFM in keeping others warm this winter. Support the Nedbank SAFM winter campaign by donating a minimum amount of 50 rands into the winter campaign account at a Nedbank branch. Or contribute 20 rands by SMSing the word WINTER to 40017. For more information on the campaign, visit nedbank.co.za. Make things happen. Nedbank. In partnership with SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, bringing warmth this winter. ICASA is celebrating the World Telecommunications and Information Society Day in all provinces from the 17th to the 30th of May 2013. In keeping with the theme, ICT and road safety, uh, road safety, ICASA urges all motorists and pedestrians not to use technologies such as mobile phones whilst driving or crossing the road. Be responsible and use telecommunications technology wisely for your road safety. Otherwise, on SAFM. Otherwise, it is Talking Women coming to you uh, through the wonderful world of technology, coming to you live from Johannesburg here at the Hyatt Hotel at the Quality Life 8th Annual Women's Leadership Conference. We are the leaders we've been waiting for. So, guess what? We're talking to a man. Well, there you go. Sometimes life is just like that. But it's a, it's a great honor. Let me tell you a little bit about Nick Benadell. He's a professor. He's got a PhD from the University of Washington. He's got an MBA from the University of Cape Town. He's done many other things besides, but right now he's also founding director and dean of Gibbs, which is the Gordon's Institute of Business Science. And he's been talking about strategic management and where women, or strategic leadership, I should, I should say, and he's been talking about how that transcends gender boundaries. And he's given a most entertaining talk. And Nick, it's lovely to have you with us. Thanks very much, Nancy. And very to interesting to, say, to hear that in some ways you are connected to this program, because I think many years ago your sister worked on this very woman's program. She did indeed in is the late not, 60s, yeah. With Sue McGregor. It is Lovely. a small Gosh, world. Sue McGregor. Now that's going back some. Moved on to the BBC, I think. Right. Let's not get carried away with personal issues here. Let's find out a little bit about what you had to say. You had many things to say. I'm going to start with some of the statistics that you threw out right at the beginning. There at Gibbs, you have half of your MBAs are women, uh, are more than 50% of whom are taking all the prizes. You've got a 10,000 women's uh, project, which is doing very, very well. And yet, as you heard me saying there earlier this morning, I heard uh, Dudu, um, yes, Dudu, Dudu Nsomi of Busana saying that the growing demand for female executives, board directors and so on exceeds the supply. So you might be doing well, but it seems like you're not doing well enough or not well, quickly we, enough. Well, we're doing what we can, of course. Um, let me just correct the statistics. So up to 50% of the MBA class are women, okay. and, but they take more than 50% of the prizes, which is a fantastic sign of their okay. commitment to okay. hard work. I think there's a shifting generational dynamic, and I think women in South Africa across many 
parts in politics, in uh, government, in, uh, in many fields, including business, are playing more and more of a leadership role. And I think in some ways the qualities of leadership that women bring are suited to the kinds of challenges we're likely to face in the 21st century. What are some of those challenges? Because they're happening very quickly. One of the slides that you showed was this rather frightening, flawsome, can I say, uh, trajectory of, of just how quickly things are changing uh, in the last thousand years they have just gone right up to the top and I wondered where on that trajectory women were are they, are they there, are they displaying uh, their presence? Well I think it very much depends where you are in the world, in some yeah. parts of the world women are not, have not been given the opportunity to lead but in many parts of the world they have especially in the west and the US and I think in South Africa where by and large stuff has been fairly progressive if you look at the number of MPs, cabinets and so on we've set the pace in some areas um, the challenges we face are so multifaceted and things are moving so quickly, and I, as a gen general observation, I would say women are fairly focused at being able to do lots of things at once, change their agenda, communicate quickly, uh, make decisions under pressure, and that gives them some advantage, uh, not an exclusive advantage, but some advantage in business and life generally, because they, they generally have to deal with much more complexity than men in their broader life. Uh, most of, uh, of executives that are men, most of their focus is work-focused. Mm -hmm. So, which brings me back to what you were saying earlier about the women's style of leadership is definitely a part of the way forward. Can you identify what that style is? Well, high communication, lots of empathy, mm -hmm. uh, quick decision-making, as I said, capacity to listen. Uh, and it's not, you know, I don't like these gender boundaries being uh, yeah. categorical because there are many men who listen well, but I think in general women tend to listen more than men. Um, and quick decision-making, uh, juggling multiple priorities. Now, have all those things sort of um, manifested in your MBA in the way that you teach? Because it's no good recognizing those things and saying, well, that's a good thing, they're going to bring them anyway. Is it something that, if I can say, you're teaching all of your MBA students? I think this, the style of teaching at a business school is very interactive, mm. so there's lots of room for that. A lot of the time in an MBA program, people are working in smaller groups where there's much more time, air time. But when you're in the classroom of 65 energetic, well-prepared, hard-working people, you've got to earn your your speaking time. Um, the many of the other programs we run, though, the number of them are, are exclusively for women. Mm. They're not gender-based issues. They're rather just women who happen to be leaders working together. And uh, there's lots of energy in, in that area as well. And among school kids, we run a big program called the Spread of Youth around the country in uh, Joburg, Cape Town, and uh, later this year in Durban. And that attracts grade 11s from all the schools, from a mix of schools. And we see young women also there taking their place yeah. in leadership ranks. Not necessarily there to single them out, but it's interesting that you're, you're watching with interest what's going on there. In fact, you spreading your word is, is something that you do very well and very consciously, and I think you've got a, proje a project called 10,000 Women Project. We actually spoke about it on a program some little while ago. Just as a sort of a reminder, what is it you're trying to do there? It's a global program uh, funded by Goldman Sachs, the bank, and uh, it operates in many countries, and, and we were p chosen as a South African partner to run it. We're putting through 300 women entrepreneurs who've already established their business, and they're helping them scale up, giving them a bit more confidence, building some of the business skills, and them helping each other. And the data shows it's a very successful program. Uh, we're delighted that we're hosting it. Yeah. So the, the theme, and there were actually many themes in your, in your talk, and I was trying to sort of scribble them down, but we were, go, we were moving very fast. Um, but if I can pick up on a couple of things, maps and mirrors. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get on the maps in just a minute. The mirror? 
Mirror, you see, the, the challenge of leading, as in being in front or, or, or being put in front sometimes, is it's a pretty lonely space in which you've got to make decisions, often uncertain as to the outcome, whether what you're doing is right or not. And that needs maturity and an ability of self-reflection. And that's why I talk about the mirrors. Because the mirror is the conversation, the honest conversation with yourself. Uh, and again, women tend to have more honest conversations about performance than men do, which is interesting. But uh, that honest conversation, looking in the mirror, am I, right? am I the right person? Am I the person to be doing what I am doing? And what I call the ethics test, which is, how would my mother approve of what I'm thinking of doing? Um, a lot of leadership requires ethics and values to be understood. And I think many of us, not just women, men and women, uh, have to reflect on, on ethical issues in this country a great deal, given the changes that we're going mm. through. Mm. Yes, I suppose as part of the mirror, you do have to understand yourself or you're never going to be able to understand other people. But I think it was you who said something to the effect of, I am, I, I am me, I am, I am not my institution. So whilst you're busy looking in the mirror, you need to be sure that you're seeing you and not, not a job out of which you may be very soon. What a lot of studies have shown about leaders where things go wrong is that their identity and the organization's identity get lost. They get intermingled to the point they no longer are who they are. And so there's always a balance between, on the one hand, not being self-absorbed uh, as a leader of an institution. On the other hand, not letting the institution absorb you to the point that you lose your own identity. And the stress of executive life, which is not always understood as how difficult it is to run a big or even a medium-sized business in this world, there's a huge amount of stress and pressure in there. So staying in touch with your own authentic voice and your own... Uh, ideas and challenges that you're able to be confident enough to express them and not to get caught up in groupthink or not to get caught up in other people's ideas only is a very important skill for good leaders. So it's, it's an interesting thing that I suppose a, a leader needs to be able to put their stamp on something without making themselves uh, unreplaceable, irreplaceable. Uh, you know, right. you need to be able to leave a healthy ship, not right. one that's sinking because you've gone. Correct. And, of course, that has to do with you know, building the team and, and sharing as much as possible the decision-making and being able to pick out the good ideas. But ultimately, very often, an individual has to make a call, especially when there's dissension or disagreement in a team. That's what the job of being a leader is. The style of leadership has changed so much in the last 30 years because information is so much more available. The kind of hierarchical organizations that I started working in are simply not functional. If you just look at the social media today, you know, when a leader says something or something happens of importance in a company, it's all over the place at once. So unless you build a community, a collaborative community, in which the voice of complaining people or people with ideas can be heard, uh, you're not going to be effective. To do that, you've got to distribute the leadership. You've got to decentralize and give away your authority. But very often, ultimately, someone's got to make a call. Yes, hierarchical it may have been. It may also have been patriarchal. Very patriarchal, absolutely. Which brings me to um, something that you describe as the mummy test. What would my mother say? Really? (laughs) Let's just describe where you're coming from. I just think that, you know, if you, as I said just now, if you're going to try and do what's next. In other words, a lot of what we think about is what we know. It comes from memory. So experience is accumulated memory. In periods of rapid change, one's got to question whether your experience is useful. That means you have to unlearn and you have to let go because you're going to be forward-focusing. And as I said at the beginning of my talk, uh, von Kierkegaard, a famous philosopher, said the tragedy of life is we understand it backwards, but we have to live it forwards. So to lean forward 
which has become a very popular best-selling book in the yeah, USA. Lean, lean in. Uh, yeah, yes, lean in. Yes, but sure, it also sure. is about leaning forward. Mm. But you must lean forward as well. And the debate is about leaning in and leaning forward. To lean forward takes you into the zone of uncertainty. And for, to make that, those decisions really does require conversation with yourself. And it seems from what you were saying about maps that South Africa, we're not leaning forward or in or leaning anywhere Out. fast <laughs> enough. We right. are, we're so busy being laid back, we're not leaning forward. A little bit of a frightening uh, reflection you had about what's going on in South Africa relative to Africa, relative to the rest of the world. Can you uh, synthesize that? Well, what I was saying is that South Africa, uh, to some extent, is an island nation. It is physically surrounded two-thirds by water. It's surrounded by small economies. And so the idea of a neighbor that's really rivalrous is fairly abstract for us. So we've watched the rise of China. Everyone's written a lot about it, but not many South Africans have been to China to see how one country could turn itself around in 30 years. Singapore, Taiwan, South Korea. Just to use Asian examples, we could look at Latin America. I was in Poland over the weekend looking at the speed of change there. I think we need to inject into our behavior and actions and discussion this question of what makes a country competitive. And uh, that means you must want to compete. And excellence comes from competing. Um, and so that energy, I think, is very, very important. And what I was saying in my talk is about the maps we use. We all use maps. Maps tell us where we are. And we normally use a map when we're going on a journey forward or into the future. So we need to build these maps, taking into account the fantastic things that are changing around us. We talk all day about social media. We don't talk that much about medical technology. We're not talking that much about economics and how the world has truly become flat and that where you are is much less relevant than what you can do. So a small firm in Vietnam is able to compete in the USA because of the nature of the global economy. So I was trying to illustrate these to say we have a tendency to be a little self-absorbed. When I pick up the papers here, they're very much about the domestic South African parochial. stories. They, 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 yeah, we, we're strange, we're paradoxical. We're not that parochial because of the colonial history. But we are a little parochial now. And my fear is in terms of bandwidth and you know, access to modern technology that allows you to be on, online and interactive in all the new ways that are now going to come out is critical for South Africa. We're not a mine, we, we used to be an agricultural econ economy, then we became a mining economy, then we became an industrial economy. Now we're either in a knowledge or post-industrial economy in which services, and that's all about technology. And what we have to do is have a generation of, of people, of citizens that are, are comfortable and creative in those technologies. You dropped in Poland there. You also dropped into your conversation Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City, and you described um, a wonderful little, a little hotel that you go to say where they've got this tiny weeny little kitchen out of which they're producing something like 134 different dishes, all of them freshly cooked. Uh, you know, just giving a, uh, painting a picture, I suppose, of energy. It's the pace. Yeah. It's the pace, mm. you know, and, and it's the it's right. We can, yeah. we can do can it. Do. You, mm. you also talked about... Um, London is being an old age. <laughs> London is an old age home, and if you want to go where the energy is, go to Lagos. Um, no, I said, I said, Europe is part of that challenge at the moment. Yeah. So. Sorry, I think London I'm still has. A, London is a buzzing city yeah. because it's a global financial capital. Just but in terms of, of of broad change, it's in the emerging markets where the chain, the drumbeat of change, is coming from. Brazil, Russia, Turkey. You know, these countries, Poland I mentioned, India, China, that's where the excitement is now. And then the African countries, Lagos and Kinshasa, Nairobi, these are the exciting cities in Africa. One of the things, just whilst we're quickly, whilst we're on London, um, the, 
uh, you mentioned you, you put up a map of uh, the winners of the London Olympic 2012, and, and England did enormously well considering right. the size of that tiny Sorry. island there. And one of the reasons you said was because they were playing at home. They were playing at home. And, and you challenged us here yes. in South Africa to play at home, meaning... Correct. Meaning that we must focus on all the issues in front of us in South Africa, but that uh, what caused us to deliver a great World Cup in terms of stadiums and logistics and on time, etc., we've kind of forgot to play the soccer at the same level. So what Britain did is invite the world to come and play in London last summer, and it lay, raised its game. And we've got to raise our game. I think all of us are saying the same thing. Our growth rates are subpar. As the Minister of Finance says, we cannot grow at this present rate and think we are a sustainable democracy. You can't have growing levels of inequality and hope the next generation will tolerate the structure. So there's a high level of urgency, and it's benchmarking yourself all the time against the best that does it, whether it's a person, an organisation, or a country indeed. On a high level of urgency, I just have to draw attention to the two photographs that you showed right at the end. There was a wonderful picture of a whole group of lionesses forging ahead, flying across the river, looking every ounce of, of, of energy and excitement and focus. Um, you meant what by that picture, and what did you mean by the one that followed it? Well, I'm going to get into trouble with my men friends. You but sure are. The, <laughs> the second picture was a group of sleeping males just watching the game. And as we all know, lions hunt. I mean, the lionesses do most of the hunting. So the picture is really just to show the teamwork, the energy. Uh, they were in water, crossing unfamiliar territory, and very, very focused on what I suspect was a single buck that they were about to take out. So it was the capacity of women to, to work in a team, to unleash the energy, to communicate with each other, and to focus on an objective that I was trying to illustrate. The danger is, as Martin Luther King once said, that the tragedy of revolution is most people sleep through them. And I think South Africa is going to go in the next 10 to 20 years through even more change than we've been through in the past, which is extraordinary given where we've come from. But that's an exciting journey, and that's why the map connects to the story is what do you want to do next? How do you, how do you enrich yourself from all the change around you? I don't mean financially enrich yourself. How do you live as a full South African in this very complex, very challenging, sometimes dysfunctional country? And I think that's the energy I feel and that we feel it gives. It's a very, very exciting time because the choices we make now in education and healthcare and so on, the choices we make in business, are going to shape the landscape for the next generation of South Africans. And they were born freeze, and they're not going to take as a reasonable excuse of where we came from historically. They want to know next. You know, the lovely thing about anyone under, under 20 is that they, they see the struggle as a, a chapter in the history book. And our generation still hold it very close. And we should. We should remember. Mm -hmm. But it's not how we're going to build a winning nation. Oh, one, of the, one of the tenets that you also um, predicted was, you know, if we are going to build a winning nation, we need to work with hope, not fear. Hmm. And I think that's, that's probably quite a good one. But, but, na but uh, informed hope. Yes. Not, uh, not naive. Not no. blind optimism. No. Two, two very quick questions. Um, the revolution that hopefully none of us are going to be sleeping through. Do you see, that, uh, do you see women as revolutionaries? Do you see them with their, with their spears and shields? Or their, hopefully not gun belt, but do you see them as part of the revolution? But I, I suppose I'm talking more about a mindset hmm. of saying we need to change things and we need to do it quickly. And having the energy to lead that change is what I mean by that. Hmm. Um, I, I don't mean it in the, in the common, common phrase of yeah. the of a revolution overthrowing the state. Be wearing I, I mean it in the sense of energizing ourselves to, to change this country. This country wants to be changed. And the generation that will follow us want it to be changed sooner rather than later. 
Nick Benadel, just one last question as Dean of Gibbs. To what extent does Gibbs walk the talk? How many of the, the people at, to, at the top of Gibbs are women? A large number of our staff are women. Um, I'm, I'm obviously I'm the dean and I have a the director of the school is also a man. But amongst that executive team, there are a number of women. And uh, most of our senior managers are women. So I, I'm privileged to w- work in a, a very gender-imbalanced organization that is led by women. Just very last question. On your on a personal note, I think you mentioned your daughter who asked you, was it a very pertinent question that she asked you or came up with a very pertinent statement? When she's a big girl, when she's a woman, what, do you see that she'll be moving in a very different business environment? What we know about that generation, she's 18 now, and the question she was asking me was whether I was alive when cell phones oh, went in. Pretty funny. But, uh, you know, I said to her just over the weekend, I saw her and said, um, she's studying in the UK, that that uh, the job that she might do in five years' time has probably not been invented yet, and that that's the speed of economic and technical change. So in thinking about her career, build a broad base of skills, travel and engage as much as you can, build a broad network, which she does, uh, because that's the best shot of then seeing what the openings up are in, in the global economy and whether she works and lives here or elsewhere, uh, South Africans are going to be in a very flat global world and we will travel and work in many countries as a fairly natural part of, of this country's future. And that excites me for her generation. Um, I, I, was a freak, I lived in six countries by the time I was ten, which formatted me in that way. It's been a lifelong habit sitting in the back of a large aeroplane. For her generation, it just goes without saying, their friendships, their engagements, their ideas will come from many countries without losing any sense of who they are. Wow, that's quite something. I'm thinking your daughter, never mind being born when uh, cell phones were invented, she'll probably be fitted with a microchip. Uh, for sure. <laughs> Nick, uh, Professor Nick Benadell, thank you. It's been a real treat. Thank, thank, you, thank you very much. Wonderful. Thanks. And uh, Professor Nick Benadell was one of our speakers, and as you heard there, Dean of Gibbs, which is the Gordon's Institute of Business Science. Here or otherwise, it's 1.30, time for the news headlines with Asanda Mazzoniani. Thanks very much, Asanda. It's a pity you're not here at the, uh, at the conference with us because I'm sure you've got uh, plenty of leadership up your sleeve. But anyway, we're, we're here on your behalf. So here we are at the 8th Annual Women's Leadership Conference, Equality, Quality Life. We are the leaders we've been waiting for, and I have three more guests, which is very exciting. going to start with Margaret. Margaret Nkosi is she's, uh, in charge of special projects at the Technology Innovation Agency at the Project of uh, Department of Science and Technology. She herself is also President of Women in Nuclear. So where are we going to start, Margaret? got uh, lots of questions to ask you. Let's start, though, with TIA, because it's all about innovation. We're going to be talking about innovation here at the at the uh, conference in just a minute. The purpose of Technology Innovation Agency, I think, is to encourage women in particular, young people, but women in particular in our case, to follow careers in science and uh, engineering. How are you doing that? That will be the women in nuclear, yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you want me to... Nope, I was going to go with TIA. TIA is a initiative of the Department of Science and Technology and what we are doing, we're providing funding as well as non-financial support to all South Africans who are bringing innovative ideas or products in order to accelerate socio-economic development within the country. And how is it going? Are you getting plenty of women? uh... Well, we, we... we, we are getting women in other uh, companies, but we also have special uh, projects which, want, which deal specifically with looking into the youth 
and bringing them into the picture. And we're also looking into bringing in more women, especially in specialized fields like in your nuclear technologies and all these other fields where women are not naturally, you know, capacitated to be in those fields. Not naturally capacitated or haven't traditionally been capacitated? Haven't traditionally yeah. been yes. capacitated. And I suppose, the, I suppose the challenge is to get young women, young uh, or young women, on board while they still believe they can before they get conditioned to thinking that they can't. Yes. And, and how are you doing that? What we are doing currently at the Technology Innovation Agency, we have introduced the Youth Technology Innovation Fund. And the fund is specifically looking into the youth who are between the ages of 18 and 30. And the reason we're looking into that category is because in the normal tier funding instruments, we do have other youth beyond the age of 30. So we want to create the pipeline for tier projects so that we don't have a gap because as we say in that space of 18 to 30 we don't really have many of the projects there so we're trying to build them up and we're also trying to encourage them to get into technology innovation. Can we just move into women in nuclear just for a moment? Um, you're the president of women in nuclear. Give us some sort of idea of statistics how many women are in nuclear in the nuclear industry? I wouldn't know the number from the top of my head, but uh, there is very relatively few women compared to men in the, in the nuclear industry. And you would know also in South Africa in the past, um, especially black people, they were not even open to, to, to nuclear. However, women in nuclear is part of the global, women in nuclear global okay. organization. And we also have a chapter here in South Africa and we have over 200 members. We, within the major nuclear organizations that are part of, of the, the Women in Nuclear South Africa. And what we're doing, we really want to support women in the various nuclear organizations, both technical and non-technical women. And we also want to encourage the young women to go into the science and engineering fields, as well as to talk to the public about nuclear. What is it about? What are the advantages? What the, are the disadvantages? Because in South Africa, we do have nuclear and we also have other applications of nuclear which are not only on the energy side, and a whole lot of people do not know that. Yeah, I'm sure there's a great deal people don't know about women in nuclear, also about the TIA. Websites, have you got if anybody would like to know more? Uh, for TIA, the website is www.tia.org.za, yeah. yeah. and for the women in nuclear is www.winsa.org. Okay, well, I'm going yes. to repeat those because I think they're two very big areas where women can achieve and uh, their potential's not even been, the surface has not even been scratched. So let me repeat those. Margaret McCausey, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Margaret, we're talking there about TIA, that's the uh, Technology Innovation Agency, and also about women in nuclear. Let me give you the websites once again, www.tia.org.za or www.winsa.org.za. In Grahamstown on the 27th of June, SAFM is proud once again to be the official radio partner. Join us for 10 days of amazing jazz and blues, featuring Mikasa, Esavan Naidu, and dozens more local and international jazz superstars. Also featuring the 2013 Young Artist Award winner for jazz, Shane Cooper. SAFM will be there to bring you some amazing performances and keep you in the loop with all the backstage action. But there's nothing quite like being there, so book now at CompuTicket and head to Grahamstown for the Standard Bank Jazz Festival. Join us tonight on Top Billing as we chat to the latest sensation in the medical world. Dr. Riyad Musa. 
We try the national dish of Scotland. Wrapped in a lovely sheep's intestine. Benung meets Vin Diesel. This would be interesting. Can I catch up with what now in London? And you get to see the behind the scenes of our brand new music video. That's tonight at 8.30. Stay with SABC3. Listening to Otherwise, coming to you from, uh, coming to you from uh, Johannesburg. News from the TV license office with our new SMS balance inquiry function. You can now get your TV license balance conveniently on your cell phone. SMS your ID number or TV license number to 44210. And voila, 44210. Quick and easy. TV licenses make a difference. Otherwise, on SAFM. Sure is otherwise talking women, talking lots of women here on SFM, isn't it fun? Coming to you from the Quality Life, uh, we are the leaders we've been waiting for conference in Johannesburg. And next we have Dudu Mvimbi, she's uh, Dudu Mvimbi Leshabani. She's the editor of Mural Magazine and she's looking every inch the editor of a glossy magazine. She's actually wearing a leopard skin little number. Dudu, lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Is it leopard skin? What, we, what sort of skin are we looking at here? Um, very chic. It's a fake one. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's not a real one. So, um, Dudu, tell us a little bit about, about you because we just heard you talking there and you were talking about Real Magazine and you were sort of in a way using your own life as, a, as the philosophy behind Real Magazine because it's real. It's you. Tell us. Yes. Um, it's... Um, you know, as I, as I did say earlier on, that it's mostly from my, my background, but I didn't specifically go and, you know, make a magazine to, 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 to represent my own life. But what I, when I started, what I um, thought was happening with young women my age was that we were still trying, you know, we were lagging behind, we were trying to catch up. You know, coming from a very disadvantaged background, you you want to do the catch-up game, but also you need someone who's who's been there before to 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 guide you, you know, and and to give you all that information. And um, hence, I said it, it it was meant for me. You know, the magazine was meant for me just to to guide and all all, all the other readers that are you know were in my in my, in my situation at the time. So you haven't done an Oprah Winfrey on us, however. You haven't put yourself on the cover of each and every one, but you have, you've marked it with your own, with your own personal brand. It's, it's out there together with a whole whack of other women's magazines. So a very brave girl you were to, to go with another one. How's it doing? It's doing great. It's, it's, been, it's doing great. We, we've, we, we've got... Um, in fact, we upped the um, cover prize twice last year, but oh. it's, still, it's still strong. It is, um, there is a market for it. I mean, if you sell over 60,000 copies, then on a monthly mm, basis, mm. you are existing. You know, you, people want to, to, to get in touch with you. And do people get in touch with you? Do you, I mean, there you are, a very real editor, using your own personal, well, I could say brand, because that's, a, that's another thing, really, but using yourself as a, something of a role model. Do people get in touch with you, Dudu, as well as the magazine? Quite a lot. And <laughs> at the office, there's always um, a conversation that, you know, the editor's letters must make them fun. You know, you must, you know, I, I, we fuss about it because we know, is the first part, you know, and I, I don't know with other brands, but for me, uh, I get a lot of feedback. I'm just going to take you into the June issue, which came out 
uh, two days ago, but subscribers already had it some time last week. And it was this personal story about my dad. And mm. you can imagine, I'm getting so much uh, feedback about everyone is telling me about, you know, this is what happened to me and my dad. So I had that conversation on a monthly basis. And the pressure is just uh, so much that I have to keep writing about myself. Even at that month, some months, you feel, what can I say, you know? But you have to have, you have, to have something, you know, to say. Because they connect with you yeah. through that. Well, what you can do is keep all your Ed's letters, put them all together in a book, and you will have written your autobiography. Wow. Judy, thank you very much. I'm going to rush out and get the June issue and read all about your dad. Thank, thank you. you so much. Good luck. Judy Mvimbi Leshebani, and she is the editor of Real Magazine, very glamorous she is too. And if you'd like to see, uh, hear her story, I think you can pick up any issue, but in the latest June issue, certainly you'll read more about her dad. Thank you very much. Something. Yes, got Judith on the cover. Who? Judith Sepuma on the cover. Judith, who did I say? <laughs> Judith, royalty on the cover. Thank you very much. Thank Love you. you. Well, otherwise, you're listening to, and don't forget, if you would like to share with us at any stage, you're welcome, not right now, but you can pop us an email, or at otherwise at safm.co.city. Very pleased to in, uh, introduce you to our next guest. She's Shungu Chirunda. She's a lawyer by training. She has a master's degree in human rights law from the University of London School of Oriental and African Studies. Worked in the UK, and you will hear that. She's also worked in the US on post-September uh, 11 human rights issues and prison law. She also worked in Africa at the African Union, worked in a global accounting firm, and as a legal advisor, currently works in corporate and regulatory affairs for a global multinational company in the MFCG sector. Yo, Shungu. <laughs> that's, quite a, that's quite a little opening statement, but very proud to have you with us. Nancy, thank you for the invitation. Well, one of the reasons that I really was quite keen to have a chat to you, because you stood up when you asked a very provocative question um, earlier. I don't know if you can reframe it for us, but it was quite a challenging question in the light of what we're talking about, women's leadership. Here. Certainly, Nancy. Certainly, Nancy. Um, basically, my question yesterday was uh, premised on the fact that there appears to be quite a lot of clarity of thought when the gender agenda is discussed in the context or the frame of men versus women or men and women. And my question to the forum yesterday was, is there such a thing? as women-on-women women violence. What are we doing in terms of our own selves as a gender to uh, set... What are we causing some of our own setbacks mm -hmm. in the way that we are? And I said earlier in the panel forum today, uh, are sisters doing it to themselves even while sisters are doing it for themselves? So that was generally the question. The, the fact that you asked that question implies that I'm afraid there is, they are, you know, we, we are guilty of doing it to ourselves, we are guilty of doing it to one another, it's the put her down syndrome, it's the put myself down syndrome. What is the solution to that? Well, I'm inclined to say that I believe that we've come a long way uh, in the battle, the struggle has come a long way um, to ensuring that we have... Um, documents like constitutions and legislation that protect women and um, the, the, the question I wanted to ask is to the forum was if we as women are on our way up with great power comes great responsibility which is a Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility and how are we in the things that we say because the things that we say who we are what we say about other women, all of these things that we say, the water coolants in the offices and so on, all of those things, 
are part of what chip away at that progress. Furthermore, I said that um, talking about the uh, documentation that now exists in, um, in, in, in constitutions and legislation, that the institutions now, the ins justice institutions themselves, uh, need to find some way to be more uh, female-friendly, if you like. Um, and the issue of access to justice needs to be uh, addressed that can women actually uh, uh, go to the courts, afford to litigate if uh, in some way uh, their rights as defined have been breached. So those uh, basically were some of the topical discussions. Yes, that we yes. well, I'd like to engage you on that very one because, uh, you know, the question of women um, and, and legislation and whether or not courts are user-friendly for women. Well, we've, I mean, the Aline Boyston case is not exactly what you're talking about, but we've just seen, um, you know, suddenly there seems to be no justice in that particular case. But when women are in courts themselves, very fearful places. There are a number of organisations who do try to help them in, but generally uh, they're not very women friendly and uh, women being susceptible, if I can say, to fear and victimisation. What, what do you see can be done about that? As, as a revolutionary, we were talking about women being revolutionaries earlier to Nick <laughs> Benadel. Um, how, do you, how do you see that we can revolt and sort that out? Well, Nancy, um, I, I have been following from a distance. I, I'm Zimbabwean by nationality, um, and so I'm two weeks old in South Africa. Um, and, I, and I have picked up uh, the, the debates, the discussions, the discourses about uh, gender-based violence. The nature of gender-based violence is such an affront to uh, the woman's physicality. And what the question I would ask um, the law reformers and uh, people in the legal uh, sector is that we, we need to have institutions that preserve the humanity and the dignity of those people who are trying to access justice to assert their rights. Um, so courts in general have not always historically, because of the adversarial process, they're not uh, historically friendly or user-friendly places. I mean, some significant inroads have been made with special courts for, um, for, for rape victims in some countries and so on. Um, but m more needs to be done. And as women, we're in a unique position to inform that process. And we have the voice. Uh, I guess it's a question of using it uh, to... Professor Nick's uh, um, uh, talk when he was talking about the action needs to be greater than the hope and I, and I truly, truly subscribe to that. The action needs to be greater than the hope and uh, we need to act on these uh, forums, in the forums, the platforms and do some intervention. Yes, he certainly, he certainly gave us a call to action. He did. I mean, anybody who dares leave this, this, uh, this building mm -hmm. without going out and doing something, well, well they, will, they will certainly be in lots of trouble. But two weeks old here in South Africa, very briefly, um, it, it's interesting to catch you at the beginning. I'm sure it's not the first time that you've been to South Africa, but now that you're here with, with both feet on the ground, here to say, first impressions, particularly around women? I was fortunate and privileged to be sitting in a, a forum today where I met women I wouldn't ordinarily have had access to in my everyday course of business, Dr. Mampele Rampele and um, uh, Sibongile and others. And my impression of South African women is that they speak. We, they found their voice, and this is a good thing. Um, it's not the volume of the voice. It's finding that you have one. Um, that's critical. So whether you're whispering or shouting, you have a relevance and a place in creating the South Africa that you want and that we want as a country. South Africa has a massive contribution to make to the continent and indeed to the world. 
and women have a significant role to play in that. That's a really nice quote, I have to say. It's, it's not the, the, you, you have to find your voice. It's not, the, it's not the volume of the voice, it's the fact that you have one. And as we know only too well, there are so many, so many women right here in this country whose, actually, whose voice has not yet been found and it certainly has not yet been heard. But um, you're optimistic. Have you enjoyed what you've heard here today? I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've heard today and I'm looking forward to listening to the various versions of the What Next um, that's going to come out of this forum. It's been a very useful and educative forum. And uh, we need to do this occasionally to introspect and reflect on where we are in the journey. And the question I posed to the forum and the panel was, uh, what is the, we, we are the beneficiaries of the fight thus far. What is the legacy of this generation of women to our daughters? Well, there's a question. And hopefully, if you stay tuned to this program, we'll try and get some answers. Or certainly, you know, we'll certainly point out the map to the answers. Shungu uh, Chulundu, thank you so much. It's been fascinating. So there's a lot more where that came from. Hopefully, we'll talk another day. Shungu, uh, she is currently corporate and regulatory affairs. She's working for a global multinational company in the FMCG sector. It's been otherwise. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks very much to Katiso Bodloko and also to Hazel Makuzeni. And I'm Nancy Richards. And up next, it's Sharp Sharp, the children's program. <laughs>